before we begin our podcast today, there's going to be a local public service announcement from Peter Constantin, and then we will all jump in together and enjoy Pastor Potluck. Thanks. For those who are interested in listening to a little wider circle that incorporates many of our Canton Christian communities, the Canton Missional Network is the place for you, and our upcoming meeting is Monday the 12th at 7 p.m. at the Community Kitchen in Canton and also online via Zoom. I'll post instructions on how to connect to that meeting on our Facebook page or on everywhere that you can find this podcast, you'll be able to find a link to that. But if you're in the Canton neighborhood and you're interested in learning and listening about how we can be actively engaged across denominational lines, I invite you to be participating in the Canton Missional Network. Again, Monday the 12th at 7 p.m. at the Canton Community Kitchen. Hope to see you there. Welcome to Pastor Potluck. I'm Court Green. And I'm Peter Constantin. And today, once again, we have with us... Gordon Pike. Gordon Pike, who's here, friend of the show. And so we are going to uh, resume. It's been three weeks since we've done one of these. I have missed mm -hmm. doing it. I have missed... Peter, I have missed others, and I have missed y'all, even though I don't ever actually see y'all. And so I uh, hope you've missed us, and, you know, it, it's good to be back. We've Peter? experienced a resurrection, it seems. Of the show? Yeah. Oh, I thought you, you meant go. he is risen. He is risen indeed. Oh, okay. All right, but we're back now, and I'll, we, we hope to be doing this more often. I guess, you know, you shouldn't make excuses, but I'm going to. And that is... Uh, it's a show called Pastor Potluck, and Holy Week is either the busiest week or the second busiest week, depending on how much emphasis you have on Christmas at your congregations. And so I assume that you guys can forgive us because we've all been running around like crazy um, leading up to Holy Week and then, of course, with Easter. And so that's why I haven't been around, and I assume that's why others haven't been around. So it's been three weeks. What you been been up to, Peter? Wow, uh, it's been busy, yeah. Um, we just moved back to in-person services with my church, uh, so coordinating how all that w was gonna go has been um, a big focus. Um, we're dealing with some health issues in my family, so uh, doctor's appointments, scheduling things, calling, checking insurance, all of that kind of stuff. So pray for us, but uh, we're getting that worked out, so. Uh, it's just been it's been a busy couple of weeks. Gordon, I'm kind of up against the same thing. We got our insert our in-person service, and I forgot with with all this time that for like the past year I've been putting the bulletin together, doing the music and everything. So it's like getting all those moving parts back into place and uh, getting people to back on board and, and so it wasn't as bad this Sunday as like I, I thought it was going to be like the Keystone Cops or something but it was yeah you know, I don't have a clue what a Keystone Cop is well it's, it's that slapstick 1930s you know where they're bumping into each other and ah so mass confusion and chaos yeah yeah exactly but it, it, it went well I, I'm glad to hear that I, I have kind of separated myself from those of us who have not been in person this entire time and and i just kind of forgot that you know we've been open since june so i just when i'm not when y'all aren't in front of me 
I forget that you guys were all facing reopening at the same time that you were facing Easter. Let me say at the same time as getting uh, the second round of the yes. vaccine, which for some reason, all of the most of the pastors in the Canton Missional Network decided that that Easter week was a good week to get their second vaccine. I got it the week before y'all did, and I gave some of y'all a preview. To me, it felt like having the flu without the sneezing and coughing for a day, and yeah. it was just an awful day. And when I found out that y'all were getting y'all's right around Easter, I was like, you guys are in trouble. You don't even know what's about to hit you. How was it for you? It wasn't bad. I was just a little tired or anything, but not. Oh, man. It about killed me. I had, a, I had a hard time, but looking, you know, for about eight hours but looking back i'm glad that i did it you know i take eight hours over 14 days of quarantine i had about 24 straight but it's still um i'm not saying i wouldn't have done it again i wouldn't do it again but i am saying that it it hit me a lot harder than people that had had it had prepared me for yeah no i was trying to be the macho guy and oh it's not gonna affect me i'm gonna be fine (laughs) it turns out gordon was the macho guy yeah, man. And uh, good, so props to you. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I got it at 11 in the morning, and by 9.30 at night, I was in the bed, fever, chills, body aches, mm. the whole nine yards. I never got a fever. Yeah. Like, I thought I did, I thought I would because I was freezing cold and my body was hurting. And then I would go get the thermometer and check, and it was like, well, okay, I guess I'm fine. Well, see, that's the thing. I didn't check my temperature, but I just assumed I had a fever because oh, I was okay. very cold. Well, by, by your um, requirements, then I must have had a fever, too. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like I had a fever, so therefore I must have. All right, so Easter happens, and then everything goes back to normal? Well, no, because we're here and we're Christians, so therefore that couldn't be what happened. Um, lectionarily speaking, which is a word I just made up, I think. Yes, is did. that a thing? Yeah, no. Well, we're going to make it a thing. Okay. So everyone out there, lectionarily, means having to do with the, the lectionary. Lectionarily speaking, um, you could go numerous ways. Today, I wanted to go Acts 4, 32-35, and I have found no arguments that we should not do so. So how do y'all want to do this? You want to talk about it first? Let's let's read it first to share that with those who are listening, and then um, and then we can dive in and, and share some thoughts. Okay. Before I start reading, I'm just going to remind you of the the setup that we just kind of had. Easter happens. Now what? So mm-hmm. be thinking about that as we read Acts four thirty two through thirty five. Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions. But everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon all of them. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. And that's the reason. So Easter happens, and they all become communists, right? <laughs> well, uh, communism is a loaded term. Communist is definitely a loaded term, especially <coughs> in America. But uh, we should talk about it. it. That's a good question. 
did they become communists? Gordon, what do you think? Well, I, I, I <laughs> well, it's an interesting thing. I mean, first of all, like I think Peter's saying, is we got to kind of come to a, what do we mean by that? Is it a governmental system or is it a social economic system versus what was going on at the time when they were trying to navigate themselves into what are, they weren't even Christians at that point. You see what I'm saying? They, they didn't have that term. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so they're at a point where they're just trying to figure out, well, who are we and how is this thing going to work? What's it going to look like? And uh, so there's some various ideas about that. So let's t take, let's just pause and say, I think it's important to say, so communism, we have seen historical examples of communism put into practice that usually became totalitarian states, right? Yes. So there's this bad, there's this bad rap, bad rap, and uh, for communist governments, and there's also this sense that like, well, maybe it's not possible to have kind of like an ideal communist society because eventually someone, no matter who's in whose name they say they're taking power, um, usually it's in the name of the people. Mm -hmm. They end up becoming a tyrant of some kind, or a small group of people becomes a tyrant, and that's called an oligarchy. But um, I would, I think my read on Acts four would be to put it in language that um, I think makes more sense is that they didn't become communists; they became a family. I, and and uh, well, and maybe. Uh, that that's also a loaded term because some of us have unhealthy families, but I believe they became a healthy family of people who, um, you know, were were you know had a threat that they were they were under threat, but they they took care to care for one another, and their whole focus became um, kind of reevaluating what it means to be family, what it means to be community. Uh, yeah, that's kind of where I would go with it. So I want to take what one of the things you said about this communism in practice versus ideal. Yeah. And then get and use that to get back to this family idea. See, when people envision what communism can be, what they're not they're not actually envisioning communism, they're envisioning pure marxism. Mm. The problem with envisioning pure marxism is when you apply it to something it's no longer pure. Humanity enters the picture. Yeah. With that, you get greed, you get selfishness, you get class division, you get all these things that ruin it when it's put into practice in communism. Mm -hmm. We How should say you... that the same is true for democracy. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we, and we, capitalism. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they um, all get ruined by human sin. There's there's humanity all over it. But I want to bring that back to your topic about what they're becoming as a family. Hmm. Because I think that's the important difference. But there's another important difference that I'm also going to talk about. But when when it comes to families, it starts with humanity. Mm. And it figures out how we can work together. And grace enters the picture as the mechanism for how we can live together in, in some degree of harmony. Or when there is disunity or something interrupts that harmony... We have a way to get past that, and that's where love and grace enter the picture. Mm -hmm. Whereas systems of government, this is where I'm headed with this, systems of government start with the ideal and then just figure out a way to deal with and fit everyone huma into it. humanity, yeah. and if not, we'll punish you. Uh, and, that, and that's kind of why I asked the question, 
originally and how I asked it, does that mean Easter happens and now we're all communists? No, because they were not starting a government. Mm -hmm. It was never intended to be a government. For a while it became a government, but that wasn't God or Jesus' intent. But it was it was never intended to be a governmental system or any kind of structure like that. It was a movement that became a religion and somewhere in there mm-hmm. operated as a family. This is not happening instead of the government. This is happening inside of the system that already existed. Sure. And so, no, they didn't set up a communist system. No, we are not called to be socialists. Yes, sir. Well, for example, if I joined that community... They wouldn't come around and say automatically, well, those aren't your farms anymore. They're still your farms. Yeah, they're electing to sell them and give them money. Exactly. They made that decision, and out of grace and love, to sell that property and give that money to help people who are poor, which I think today is what the church is supposed to be doing anyways. Well, I don't think it's supposed to be doing it today. I think it's been supposed to be doing it forever, but I I get your point still today. Yeah, doing some more research uh, into this passage, and if we were to read further, we would get to the the story of Ananias and Ananias and Sapphira, and um, and it's clear from looking at that story that there was a choice, like you said, Gordon. It, Peter says to them, "the the money was yours to keep and do with what you wanted to, so why did you lie to us? Because if you wanted to keep it, you could have kept it, but what we read here in this passage is that there was sort of a um, people were feeling compelled to to sell." fields that they had, whether it was the, all of their fields or not, we don't know. Um, m- many did sell everything and give it to over to the apostles for distribution. And we'll see later in the story of Acts that the apostles weren't perfect at distribution either. Like they, they had trouble and they had to figure out ways to fix that. But uh, yeah, I think Court, what you said about uh, the difference between a system being established a system of government i mean we have to say that they didn't establish a system of government but they did have a governor Uh that would be christ the government is on his shoulders Um, but the enforcement of whatever that law of christ is is internal it's a spiritual one Mm -hmm. it's upon each person's heart and so um I'm a big fan of tools rather than systems. Systems is something that you have to do or have to use or have to be a part of without choice, even if it doesn't make sense or doesn't work. A tool is something that you use if it helps and you don't use if it doesn't help. Well, there are tools in Christianity, tools like forgiveness, right? Tools like sharing, tools like community meals um, that allow the, a family community uh, to to resolve the conflicts that it has along the way, because they never lose sight of the individual, right? In the in the in the larger system, whereas that is the pitfall of most systems, is it loses sight of the individual. The individual just becomes a number in the collective. Yeah, churches do that sometimes too. Yeah, not even big churches. Right. You know, we we just sometimes do that. It, it's there. So what what brings them to this point? What makes them feel like to get to Gordon's point what makes them feel like they're compelled to not compelled that sounds bad what moves them to want to give to meet the needs of others in this passage it's the resurrection I think that there's some nuance here I think that 
within the word resurrection, you actually have the death, burial, and the resurrection, the work of the cross. Uh, it says it in verse, I want to say 33. Would, would you just read the passage again? The whole jog? thing? Yeah, it's not long, so just jog my memory as All we right. move into this. Uh, now the whole group of those who were, uh, let me start over. Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions. But everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. And so it... It, it is verse 33. They're talking about the power of the apostles. They gave their testimony to what? The resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Yeah. And great grace was upon them all. It seems to me like you hear this story of someone who was willing to give everything for people who didn't deserve it and was somehow, oh, we know, God, the Father, overcomes even death that might convince you that maybe you should give some of what you have. And so it seems like this didn't pop up out of nowhere. Hmm. It doesn't seem like they were a separatist movement who were trying to to cajole people to support them and then they could go off in the desert and do their own thing or anything crazy like that. It seems like they were moved by what was given for them to then want to give to others. And I think that's what the church is called to do. Hmm. And if... This is my opinion. I do not speak for any Methodist in this room. But in my opinion, if you aren't led to think that way, maybe you don't realize what's been given for you. Hmm. Maybe it hasn't had the impact that it should. And maybe that's just me being too Baptist. I don't know. Your thoughts are welcome. I'm trying to figure out a way to articulate this. But <clears throat> if I understand... As Jesus, for example, when Jesus is talking to Pilate, or Pilate's talking to him, and then, and Jesus trying to explain to him, you don't do anything but by by the power, the the power that's given to you. So, in other words, my shirt's not my shirt. Okay, God provided the shirt. I, I can remember thinking to myself, well, yeah, but I worked for the shirt. But yeah, but I worked at a job at a place I didn't create mm -hmm. to get paid with money I didn't create to go to the store that I didn't build. Using skills that you didn't create yeah. to to get that. So if, if you develop a mindset where we understand that this is temporary, that none of this is mine. See, it, it's, we run into trouble. I think we get that mind mine mindset. You know, you're taking from me, and I don't know how to. I don't know if that's where they were going. I did want to share this really quick. There's, a, I don't know, you guys are familiar with William. Langley, but anyways, he was like in the 1400s, and he was a poet, and he wrote a book called, uh, I forget, but it, it was like inside was this poem called Pierce's Little Acre, and it's Pierce's, the Middle English for Peter, and so Peter has this plot of land, and he gets this idea that he's going to set up what we're reading here, so he goes to the farmer, and he says, look, you know, if you grow the wheat, then the soldier, and he goes and he gets a soldier, that's how the soldier will get paid. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, this, like for example, he goes to the soldier and says, would you guard the wheat field? What will I get out of it? Well, you'll get a portion of the wheat. And then he hires a wheelwright 
to keep the farm equipment going. What will I get out of it? Well, you'll get a portion of the wheat. And so he sets up this quasi-utopia, right? And then there's the, the women that bakes the bread and so forth like that. Now, if everybody goes and plays by the rules or, or understands the system, then everybody benefits. But what happens is that Pierce goes to the barn and he sees the soldier standing there goofing off with the uh, wheelwright. And he, and, and me making this accurate. And so he says to him, what are you doing? You're supposed to be out guarding the fields. He says, what well, does it matter whether I guard, guard the field or not, right? I'm going to get my loaf of bread. Hmm. And see, that's one of the things that we see like in communism today. So even then he was exploring what happens and how do you get this balance of incentives. In other words, they had no incentives. Why should I work any harder than the next guy? Why should I buy lands just to give it to you and stuff? So in the end, Pierce gets very upset and he calls and he curses them. And he puts a famine, he calls on famine. You know, in those days, they personified these kind of things. And famine comes and he puts a herd on him to the point and everything. And then Jesus shows up and goes, why did you do that? You, you, weren't, you, you, you are guilty of what they're guilty of because you punished them for not doing what you wanted them to do. Mm -hmm. And so it's like he doesn't provide a solid answer, but kind of kind of shows the, the, how do you, like you say, the human nature versus the ideals here and so forth because like we see how long does it take before you know we go from Barnabas to Ananias and Sapphira or Sephira yeah. it, it just but I, I that, that sense of temporary or just passing through or this is not my stuff mm -hmm. takes and changes it we have to remember like these these people these apostles and the community of believers that are forming here uh, these are people who followed Jesus around, who expected him to be the Messiah, and their expectations were dashed when he mm -hmm. was crucified. Like, they they were expecting, you know, a king. They were expecting someone to drive out the foreign uh, invaders, the Romans, you know, they reestablish order, order, purify the temple, um, and that didn't happen. You know, what they saw instead was the life of, of someone who did everything right, who, who lived a good life, who, who cared for the poor, who healed the sick, fed the hungry, get crucified anyway. Mm -hmm. um, and then through this testimony of the resurrection, they come to understand that God has vindicated the life of Christ, has decided that the life that, and this is how I say it, uh, the life that was in Christ Jesus is the life of God. And that life is unkillable. It cannot be destroyed by death. Christ may have died and been in the grave, but God vindicated his life by restoring him, by resurrecting him. And so I think this question of, you know, w what is driving these people to share everything that they have I think it's just a question of like, what do we cling to? What kind of life do we cling to? If we cling to our my, my, my life, what power do I have to sustain my life? I have no power to sustain mm -hmm. my life. I mean, I can sustain it for a few years by, you know, um, you know, unjust deals of my neighbors to amount to much, a bunch of wealth, but I could get hit by lightning or get diagnosed with cancer or whatever. And it, and it all it all melts away. It all dissolves. And instead, what they're what the apostles are proclaiming is, look, Christ lived the life that God called him to live. 
And though he was killed, he was resurrected to new life. So if there's any life that we should be clinging to, it's the life that was in Christ Jesus. So what I'm taking away from this so far is that you have the death, burial, and resurrection. And to the, to the apostles, that's just wonderful. Mm. But to the other disciples, added believers of this movement, so what? Mm. Jesus rose again. Great. Let's say I believe that. Good for him. What does it do for me? The answer to that question, and I think it's why it comes on the heels in the lectionary of the resurrection, the answer to that question is this. What can it do for me? It's the community we build following his teachings. Mm. Because this is something that can go on. This is the practical side. You know, we were talking about, it's kind of the opposite. So we were talking about the ideal, and I'm not going to do, we're not going to just talk about Marxism, but capitalism and other other ideas this they all fall prey to this but we were talking about the ideal government system versus what happens when you get people in the mix yeah this kind of flips that because you have the uh, the ideal which is you know christ is risen and overcomes death and that's great but when you add people to it it makes it better Mm -hmm. not worse now, I am not going to say that churches are perfect because all the people in there are perfect, perfection personified. But it, when, you, when you take the idea of what the movement was, loving others, sacrificial living and giving, and then you add people in it and make it into a community, that's what makes it work. That's what makes it practical. That's what answered the questions, okay, Christ rises again good for him what does that do for me well if you want to spiritualize it you can but they haven't yet at least not at this point in the bible story and so i think the community is the answer and my question is why haven't we kept to that and i think in some ways we can't we have and i think in some communities more than others but by and large we have just turned that over to others and said, well, the church doesn't really want to do that anymore. We just want to sing our songs and wear our pretty clothes. And that saddens me. Mm-hmm. Because looking at it the way, if you can follow my diatribe here, looking at it the way I do, what we're cutting out when we decide we don't want to be that kind of community anymore is really the life or the blessing that was offered as the community started to exist. And therefore, what I'm kind of getting at is what we're cutting out is the hope and the promise that God originally intended for the church. So the purpose of a disciple is to be as much like your rabbi as possible. Correct. If you look at the model that Jesus gave them when he was with them, they held all things in common. Mm-hmm. They traveled together. They depended on God. They depended on the, the benevolence of people to take care of them and so forth. And so maybe they're kind of carrying that tradition on or that understanding. But where I want to go with this is that concept of other. Because when you look at the church, at the, at the, the, yeah, the, the temple, there was a warning throughout the Old Testament consistent, consistently about be careful about mixing with other cultures because you'll lose your way. 
And that got taken up to mean to be afraid. And so what happened is that rather than becoming a light on a hill and drawing people into that community of God's chosen children and grafting them in and stuff, they became other, mm. separate, frightening, right. uh, and Unclean. so forth. And so we have that idea today where it's like, I have my stuff, and you want to come and take my stuff. You become frightening. You see what I'm saying? As opposed to looking at it and seeing that everybody is a child of God, and then I'm going to be held accountable for how did I treat the other children of God? How did I treat the members of my family? And I think that's really kind of a radical, and I'll do this really fast, man. I had a guy come to one of my churches and everything, and... uh, uh, he, he was decked out and, and he was a retired airline pilot and so everybody was all happy we're going to get him and his wife into our church you know and stuff see that's not on there <laughs> but uh, he made the international symbol for hey, money hey, hey, where hey. you rub your index finger and your thumb <laughs> well let's be true so this is a little church and they were struggling yeah we do that yeah so anyways what happened was one time this was like, like maybe like about eight or nine months more than that about a year after 9-11 and I made a comment, when t- and, I, and I was preaching, and I said, well, you know, God loves the Muslims too. The guy stood up and walk, walked out and went to his car. And when I came out, he got in my face about how dare you say that. So I said, I'll make you a challenge. He said, what? I said, you find me one human being on this planet Earth who spontaneously generated themselves, who came out of nothing, created himself out of nothing, or Satan created him, or some aliens created him. Can you do that? And he said, no. I said, then we're all childs of God. And we're called to take care of each other and to see that connection where I think today, you know, we, we tend to look at people as like we're, we're going through it today. Threats. You challenge my ideas. You, you, you want to take away my stuff. You want to take away my power. You want to take away from me. And you know what I'm saying? So there's a line in our passage today that really hits me. It's that, that there was no needy person among them. Mm-hmm. And it occurs to me that there are multiple ways, I can think of at least two ways, to make sure that there are no needy persons among us, right? See where I'm going with this? We can build walls and fences and gated communities, and we can uh, police them so that we can make sure that there are no needy persons among us. We never have to see anyone (laughs) that we might have to help, right? We We can create a dress code and a system of etiquette so fierce that anybody who violates it feels completely ashamed and never comes back that's the first Baptist way well that is one way to make sure that there are no needy persons among us but that is not the Christian way as far as I can tell the reason that there were no needy persons among them was because everyone gave from what they had in order to make sure that no one had need So I pose this question to my congregation on Sunday. And it's a question that's difficult because it's a question that challenges us. I said, is there enough wealth in Haywood County for everyone to have a home? Is there enough food in Haywood County for everyone to be well fed? And the answer to that question is yes. But the question then becomes, if it is yes, And we still have a situation where we have lots of homeless people, we have lots of people who are going without food, then what is it that we believe about ourselves that keeps us from considering those without as our family, as our brothers and sisters, as people that we should be caring for? 
But see, like that's the thing. So, for example, and you, we, you, you were talking about it earlier. You know, when, uh, we grow surplus food and we throw it away to keep the price up and so forth like that. That's before There's, before we start recording. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, but but that but 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 the idea being is that yes, God has provided enough that we could have enough. But what about human nature? Again, we got to interject this. I, I think the fear is that if I give you enough to eat and I give you stuff, you'll be lazy and non, non-productive. Mm. And sometimes you kind of see that. So what do you do? Right. Well, I mean, as a Christian, I look to Christ's example. Did he evaluate every one of the 5,000 people to decide whether they were deserving or not before he fed them? You know, And maybe I'm too idealistic. Right. But uh, we, we, we do live in, in the world as it is, and it's not perfect, but we long for the world as we should as it should be. And uh, and I think Easter and especially the way that the disciples start living immediately following, um, you know, it preaches to me and it says. How comfortable have I become with the world as it is? And uh, and what am I willing to do? to move the world a little bit closer to what it should be. That's a good question. So what they did is they saw the ideal. They saw that the world around them wasn't meeting the ideal Mm. standard. And so they created it within the world. Mm -hmm. And they didn't try to overthrow the world. They just said, okay, we'll have our little enclave where we do things the way that we think they ought to be done. In which everyone was welcome, mm-hmm. and yet they weren't interested in creating a system of government. They weren't saying, we're going to fix the whole world right now. We're, it was intimate. It was personal. It was, I'm caring for my neighbor. So the question is, have we stopped, and if so, why? And then the follow-up question, which is to, to a question that already has a built-in follow-up, um, I'm lost in questions here <laughs> like the inception well, version of this question. as we should be as we should all right be. always so lost in questions have we stopped if so why and the follow-up to those being how do we get back on track hmm. because it seems to me like what 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 we tried to do has given us denominations hmm. and denominations stopped being about what we can build and started being about defining ourselves specifically by what we are not. Mm. So, you know, I am a Baptist. I do not like creeds, you know, uh, that kind of thing. Mm. I don't know what I am, but I'm not the church of the state. You know, that, gotcha. that's what a Baptist is. Um, and so I, how, do we, how do we go from that to building something better? What I think that has happened a lot here in Haywood County is that ecumenicism is that a thing? Ecumenism. Whatever. The ecumenical efforts that we have made may be the answer. Mm. Because one of the ways that you see the most getting done here, and I'm not saying look at us, we're great, but I'm just offering this, is that we stop saying, well, the Baptists are going to really specialize on wheelchair ramps, and the Methodists Y'all are going to specialize on transportation, taking people to get their prescriptions. And that's, just stay in your lane. And we've shattered that. And I'm not saying that I did it. A lot of it was Father Tim. But 
um, we've we've shattered that, and more is getting done. So mm-hmm. maybe that's the start to take down the boundaries around ministry and what it means to be a believer. Because I don't recall reading in those verses, and the Episcopalian did this. Uh-huh. And, and I'm cheating because they don't they didn't exist yet, but they seem to take all comers. Yeah, I, I I will say this: it didn't mention whether any of them were Galileans or any of them were from Samaria. Jerusalem or Samaria. They seem to just take whoever, mm-hmm. and maybe that's where we start. Yeah, but then. We begin to see creeping in Judaizers. So? And, no, I'm just saying that it's, it's that protect ourselves mentality. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to give away my age because I'm also from New York and stuff. But you guys know Walden's Pond. No. Um, Henry David Thoreau. Thoreau. He went and lived in a cabin by... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And so he was looking at nature and, and relationships in nature, ants and so forth and so on. Where I'm going with this is that... In the 60s, there was a, a community set up called Walden Two, and it was designed again based on no money. Uh, I'm a doctor. I take care of your children. You're the garbage man. You pick up my garbage. You're the builder. I pick. I take care of your kids. I pick up your garbage. You fix my house. And so it didn't last 10 years mm. and stuff. So I just want to put this out there too. We begin, you know, if you look at Revelation and the letters to the churches, he begins talking about the Nicolaitans. Mm-hmm. And the Nicolaitans, the word means uh, something with laity in it. And that the idea was it started to develop within the church this idea, well, I give more than you give and so forth. So we need to set up orders. And next thing you know, you know, they, they started like, what well, I was reading here, de- deacons and this and this and this and this. Mm-hmm. We start setting up these orders, again, to protect yeah. Because, you know, uh, his values might conflict. You know, it's just, I, again, I think it just boils down to fear. That's a good point. Should we have systems of government within the church? <laughs> That's for another podcast. I, no, I, mean, yeah, I know it's dangerous asking that to Methodists because y'all have the hierarchy. And we say we don't, but we do. Yeah. We have in the local church, we have systems of government. You either have one officially or you have one un- unofficially. Because yeah. humans just do that. It's like we run to control. And I don't understand that. Yeah. Fear. Is this that they set up? We read it today and say, oh, how beautiful. But I, if I am an outsider looking in then, yeah. I probably still like it a little, but I also am scared of it. Yeah. Because it, it's not controllable. Mm-hmm. Except it, by the Spirit, and that's not controllable. And sometimes I, I worry that we say... God is in control, and what we really mean is that my God has become control. And Go we, on. And we try to we we try we, we put all of our hope that there's something there's some way that this all makes sense onto God, and we say that because God is in control, then everything is explainable, you know. But but honestly, like what happened to Christ should obliterate that notion because he did everything right and he still got killed you know and uh, and and we you know later on Christians theologically reflected on that and we counted it as grace and we counted it as God's beloved action to share with us uh, God's son uh, but at the time and for these early Christians what they saw was that the power of the state and the power of corrupt religious leaders coalesced 
to destroy a person that they knew um, had never done anything wrong. Um, and if and if you and if someone had come to this community and said God is in control, <laughs> I think that they uh, would have had a hard time with that. But instead, what they said is that maybe God is not in control of this world as we have built it, with all of its structures and systems that seem to kill the people who are innocent. But we will give ourselves over to God so that our community will be under God's, maybe not control, but guidance and direction. Um, and, and it's a hard thing to do. I think that requires constant prayer. Uh, because uh, we are so inclined to take things into our own hands when they're not going our way. So, so just this is the old hippie in me, okay? And there was a time when uh, I I, uh, I was like Saul, kind of in a way. I, I I love engaging Christians or anything, and I always used to say, you don't you you talk a good game, you don't believe what you're saying. Mm. If you truly truly believed in heaven, mm. as you say. And I'd ask him, I said, you believe in heaven? Yeah, I said, do you live like it? Mm. What do you mean? Meaning, I don't need a Mercedes right now. Mercedes are pointless. I'm going to heaven. And in heaven, I want, but you don't believe that because you will scratch and claw to get that Mercedes. Mm. When in reality, when you want to go back to your resurrection question, if there's some greater thing that I'm going towards, this is, this is meager. <laughs> really, what, what is there to fight for? Yeah. See what I'm saying? But, you know, if I truly live my life, and Jesus showed us, he said, you know, really, in the end, this is, I, this is what it's about. I realize that you're talking about a you that doesn't exist anymore. This is yeah. your former self. Yeah. But I will argue with your former self to say. Your former self is welcome into this room for a limited time. Just for a while. <laughs> and I don't want you to have any flashbacks. But I'm okay. My argument to your former self is, hey, former Gordon, you're missing the point. Because the Bible and the movement was never about getting to heaven. It was always about making this world better. And even if you fast forward to Revelation, yeah, it, th- all this crap that we talk about, oh, well, heaven's going to be so great, and he's going to have the screech. That was talking about the New Jerusalem on earth. Mm. It's not talking, I, I have no clue what heaven is like, quote unquote, nor do I care. Because the end game is to restore this world. Um, and so, now, I'm not saying that we people. need to fill it with Mercedes. But I will <laughs> say, it's not about the afterlife. It's about now. Mm-hmm. And that's what you have in this community. People who aren't waiting on some power beyond control to do the work for them. They're starting the work today. Mm-hmm. And that's where the church needs to be. And if it's not, I dare say it's not the church. And so, I mean, I'm probably calling myself out on this also, but that, that would be my message to former Gordon. And I'm glad he's not around because I like the current Gordon. Yeah, but, but the argument, again, would be like clinging to things. Or when you talk about God is in control, we all have a picture in our head about what that would look like. Mm-hmm. Am I willing to completely abandon even that? To be able to go with it and, and wherever it lands, it lands. But, you know, it's like we have this, I, I'll see me. I have this idea of, well, when God's in control, this is, it, I, I know what that's going to look like. Mm-hmm. And what, immediately when I do that, I'm going to start forcing. So in other words, and I, I do this really quick, it's like I'm determined that that dandelion is going to become a rose instead of just appreciating the fact that 
dandelions have their own qualities. Mm-hmm. They're survivors. They're they're actually pretty yeah, they in are. their own Good right. Gracious. So you see what I'm saying? But when you talk about the resurrection, isn't there a sense this day you'll be with me in paradise? Is there, there's a sense of like this is like Satan's realm, if you will, or uh, this is not our final whatever, which I can see the danger would be like, well, then I don't need to do anything because I'm, I'm going to go the other way, which is not what we're called to do. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that I think a lot of what you described earlier is fear. They're going to change things. They're going to take things. You're talking about the, the, the potential chaos for this system? Well, you were earlier saying, why do we set these boundaries? Why do we do oh. this stuff? And I'm saying it's fear. And what I'm saying with the old hippie me was saying that why, you know, because I ask myself this all the time. If I have fear, am I questioning that he's going to cover my back? In other words, he's gotten me through 500 disasters, but at 501, he's going to drop me? Or do I continue to move in faith? And that really, for me, with this, I think, is that you're building a community of faith. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know where this is going to end. At church, you know, they get these goals in their mind, and they go, one time I asked, you know, you know, you, and you guys, you deal with the same thing I do. Okay, so oh, they get this 1950s version in their heads that we're going to return to. Mm-hmm. And I tried to explain to them, I said, that may not ever happen, but you're locked into it. So mm-hmm. while you're locked into this, you're not seeing that the possibilities are way more than this. So I said, I said, what does a blessed church look like? And whatever that went through your mind, that's what's dictating where you want to go. As opposed to maybe a blessed church is like I had two churches and one church they were just locked into that 1950s that they, they were determined and there was a heaviness to that church and there was a just a, it didn't have and I could go to my other church five miles down the road and there was light because they were like you know you know like we did that celebrate Jesus and I said what if we do celebrate Jesus and nobody comes to the church and nobody did and I said does that mean we weren't blessed I said, did you pray? Did you pray at that person's house? And then they start crying because their son was in blah, blah, blah. And I said, yeah. I said, well, then we're blessed. So then we have to ask ourselves, what does a faith community look like? And what do we consider, like when you say, when God is in control, do we really let go? Mm. That fear will step in there and go, well, now, wait a minute. You know, I picture like I'm in the back of the bus. Jesus is driving. He's got great tunes on. The AC's on. He's got a little refrigerator there. Things are good. I'm thinking, man, this is great. You know, we're driving through Miami. He's dealing with the traffic. I don't have to deal with Hey, wait a minute, Jesus, you ought to go that way. It's quicker. Hey, Jesus, you ought to slow down. You ought to do this. And maybe we're not going to get there on time and everything. He's like, I got you. I got you. Next thing you know, I'm pushing him out of the driver's seat. I'm driving the bus. We're in a traffic jam. And I said, man, what did I, you know? And then he gets back in this driver's seat again. And then I'm sitting in the back going, what was I thinking? Fear. I see myself pushing Jesus out of the bus when you tell that story. (laughs) Because I can see me saying, God, I want you to be in control. And here's a step-by-step plan of how you're going to do that. And this is what it's going to look like. And I'm guilty of that. Mm -hmm. Not in such an obvious way. But I can see me doing exactly that. This community is practicing something that, like you say, is so contrary to the way people are thinking and with no idea where this was going to take them. Right, right. And that's so hard to let go of, um, the, the, this, of, of wanting to know exactly what that vision look, looks like. Um, and, yeah, we struggle with that. Again. We still struggle with that today. Um, and I think, uh, to me, it comes down to, you know, are we dedicating ourselves to prayer? Are we actually 
intentionally trying to pay attention to what God is teaching and telling each of us uh, each day? And are we bringing that into the community of believers and asking for people to, to, to challenge that, to pray about it, to reflect on it, and, and try to figure out what does it mean to be the body of Christ today? So let me put this out there, okay, because I have been struggling so hard to get them to see what, I, what I'm about to say is, I don't know about the Baptist. This is Methodist talking. No, I'll just see my, let's see my, see say, my way out. Yeah. No, no, no. Let's say there's a, there, there was a church, in, 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 for example, there was a church in Florida, and the pastor took this church, and he prayed, and he got a vision. And he did that vision. And the next thing, this church, which had maybe 100 people in it, turns out to have 5,000. What's the first thing they did? You got to write a book. How did you do it? Yeah. We, pastors, had to go on buses to tour his church. There's a guy out in, uh, uh, you know who I'm talking about, Adam Hamilton. Yeah. And so forth. And now we all got to go back. Now they institute a system whereby, for example, there was this one guy, he used... Uh, we can he replicate used, uh, what he, was he, his, his model was the natural church development. Next thing you know, I got to read a book on natural church development. And every quarter, I got to submit these categories. How many grows? How how many this, how many that, and I'm trying to explain to them, you know what, that worked for him because that, he was following the calling. Yeah. That doesn't mean it's going to, so you know what happens? None of the churches take off, and next thing you know, three years later, we've got this other system. It's, now, what I'm, where I'm going with this is that if we are going to do like this, the, 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 the community that we just read about, mm-hmm. I try so hard to say, you know what, instead of trying to like, uh, follow them where, where we think we're going to go. Or how about, you know, for example, I'll use you for example. So let's say we're at church and we see, you know, the Baptist church, and this really happened, right? There was a church in Florida where this old retired guy came up to the pastor and says, do you know anybody that I'm going to fix old bikes? I got nothing but time on my hand. And he said, yeah, we've got alcohol, blah, blah. We got people that have lost their driver's licenses. So this guy started building bicycles. Mm-hmm. And then he got some other old guys with him. And the next thing you know, they got this warehouse full of bicycles. And they're yeah. giving it. That's happened here. Yeah. Immediately, I go back to my church. We're going to fix old bicycles. <laughs> and I got a couple guys together. You know how many bikes we gave away? Three. Two. Ah, okay. oh, we're close. My point being is that instead of doing that, and I've tried this with the church, instead of looking down the road mm. and saying, hey, you know what, let's go fill up backpacks with food. That's a good thing, right? Yeah. Why would God not? So in other words, I, I go and I do something, and then we as a church, we ask God to bless that thing. And then we turn around and say, well, God didn't bless me. He says, because you were busy doing this, and I wanted you doing that. Well, I did not. How, how do we know that God didn't bless? Because this is the well. Because there's not more the people in the bikes. Is that no, it? No, I was thinking more in terms of numbers of bikes okay. and excitement, and enthusiasm. Where I'm going with this is what I would like to see happening in the church is we move in communion. In other words, we pray. You know how sometimes you get that in your heart where you just know. Mm-hmm. I think that we don't do that as churches where we will know, we will pray, and there's just this sense in the body that this is something we need to do, and they won't care whether it looks that way or not. I've, I've had times when, when I've been in bed, and I prayed, and God put something in my heart, and I'll go to the church and go, well, yeah, how do we know it will work? I said, I don't care. We're going to do this. And you know what? It kind of worked. Now, what's the first thing we wanted to do? Well, that works, so we're going to do it next year. I said, no, because God might not want me doing that next year. You might not want. What I'm trying to say is that you move as a body, like they did, in the spirit. You pray, and you feel it, as opposed to 
chasing what another church did. And let's be honest, man, the 1950s business models made their way into the church where they're measuring bottom lines and programs. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. I will say this about that feeling you describe. I've been in ministry 16 and years and some change. I've had that feeling twice. Now, when I got it, I acted on it, and, I, and it was it was amazing. Amazing. But it's not something you can just go get in, a, in your prayer closet and say, okay, God, tell me what to do, and it happens. You have to wait. You have to wait. I and agree. It's excruciating. But that's what they do. Where we get do. in trouble, and this is why we have the models that we have, where we get in trouble is while we're waiting, we feel like we have to do something. And so we say, well, I read this book, and it's had a good idea. I'll do that. That's not, not necessarily bad. But then when that feeling comes, we say, well, I'm already doing this now. That's what I'm saying. So. Or, or like you said, when they were in the wilderness, so let's kind of go back. If you want to tie this community to when they were in the wilderness, same thing. They literally had to follow every step. And depend on God who provided. And if you remember, when God did not move, they did not move. And one of the things that we never talk about in a story, how long? Two weeks, a day, six months? However long it was, they stood at their tents and they looked at that cloud. And when it did not move, they did not move. Forty years. So following by being still. And the movement of the spirit within the body. Now, in between that time, I'm saying, yes, let's go do food kitchens and do that kind of stuff because we need to be doing the work that's good. But I say that priority comes, and I'm, I'm, I'm saying I have not been able to institute this. I have tried so many times, and I, I will explain when I get there and say, look, we will pray about this, and when it, if, if we are moved as a body to do it, then we need to do it. And then phew, off we go, bag lunches, $7, whatever, and I'm like, okay. I don't get that reference, but go ahead, Peter. So, so I keep harping on prayer, and uh, and, and you, you, we've all encountered folks, and maybe we've been there ourselves, where um, where you, you talk to someone about prayer, and they say, ah, I just don't feel like praying. You know, I, when when I have something I really need help with, I'll pray. You know, but um, but but when we commit to a regular practice of prayer, we're being active in our waiting to hear. But prayer maybe it doesn't always look the same. It doesn't always look like getting it down in my closet and, yeah. and listening in silence, yeah, right? Exactly. One of my favorite prayers, if I, if I can remember it, uh, Jesus, our companion, guide us uh, when we are in despair to know you, your loving presence through friends and strangers we encounter on our path. And so prayer can take the form of listening to our neighbors, or listening to the dead, theologians who have passed away, or the ancient church. When we read scripture, we're listening. When we listen to our neighbors and what their concerns are, what that's prayer too, in my opinion. When we walk around our block and we bump into people and we ask them, how are you really doing? What's going on? I believe God speaks to us through those, through those interactions. And so I don't want to limit prayer to what happens inside of my own comfortable house. Because I believe that God is already, as we know from the story of the end of Mark, already going before us, ahead of us, to Galilee. We'll meet us there. That's what Christ promised us. So we should not uh, be surprised when, in order to hear from God, we have to go out into the neighborhood. We have to go out and listen to our neighbors to find out what God's already up to or what maybe God needs us to be up to. 
because, so, they, like, like you said, they, uh, all, all, anybody who had need, that's communication, like mm -hmm. you said, that's coming together. But I can, I can imagine that there was a sense in that community of we need to take care of Brother John, or we need to do this, or we need to do that. Right. You know? With that, I think we need to stop. Um, so just remember some bullet points. Um, it was not a system of government set up to run things. It was a family of faith set up to love one another. And perhaps our churches should look a little bit more like that. With that said, I'm Court Green. I'm Peter Constantia. Gordon Pike. And this has been Pastor Potluck, and I thank you for joining us. Peace. One more time, here is a public service announcement for our local folks from Peter Constantia. For those who are interested in listening to a little wider circle that incorporates many of our Canton Christian communities, the Canton Missional Network is the place for you. And our upcoming meeting is Monday the 12th at 7 p.m. at the Community Kitchen in Canton and also online via Zoom. I'll post instructions on how to connect to that meeting on our Facebook page or on Everywhere that you can find this podcast, you'll be able to find a link to that. But if you're in the Canton neighborhood and you're interested in learning and listening about how we can be actively engaged across denominational lines, I invite you to be participating in the Canton Missional Network. Again, Monday the 12th at 7 p.m. at the Canton Community Kitchen. Hope to see you there.